0: The views stated by the hosts of this podcast are opinion only and should not take the place of a qualified healthcare professional or mental health specialist. This podcast is for education and recreation. Welcome to Ask a Hag, a podcast about self-care and witchcraft in the modern world. I am Allison. I'm Leslie. We are asked questions every day in the work that we do within our community. And this podcast is a space for us where we can share our knowledge and experience as witches and healers. This place is where you, dear listener, can find inspiration and also feel empowered wherever you are in your journey. This episode is sponsored by our supporters like David, Ah! (laughs) who was donated to our show through the Anchor FM app. Thank you so much, David. We really appreciate you. So cool. Thank you, David. Thank you, David. All right. Hi, Leslie. Hi, Allison. (laughs) Hi, cutie. Um, Hi. hi. Uh, We're really excited, you guys, because we have a very special guest joining us today. Karen Crisis is a channel and medium. A published author, musician, teacher of channeling, and educator of rural traditions. Her work focuses on empowering people to organize and trust their own psychic abilities and uncovering hidden knowledge buried throughout history. Welcome, Karen. Welcome, welcome.
1: Thank you so much.
0: I've had the the honor and the privilege to be um, able to thumb through your latest book, Italian magic, Secret Lives of Women. It is a gorgeous offering. I just oh, yeah. I put that out there right away. I mean oh, thank you. It's absolutely fantastic. And you know, I think um the first thing that I'd like to know about is how you came about doing this work.
2: Mm.
1: Sure. That is a really good question. <laughs> <laughs> so because it's not, it was not anything I ever planned, could have imagined, even really knew existed, but um, so seven years ago, you know, I was really deeply embedded in my life, which involved mediumship training and teaching, which really all of that started in 2012, I believe so longer than seven years ago, but I was in, you know, involved in trying to organize my skills. I was aware I've been a medium since I was a kid. And, um, actually a few years prior to that, I went to live in Tuscany where I met Davide, who I married and who's in my band, Gospel of the Witches, and met a spirit there who started teaching me things. And I recognized her as my guardian angel since I was a child, you could say. But she was teaching me things about Italian history, witchery, healing, like a lot of technical things that I didn't know. So, you know. I was sort of writing those things down. Fast forward, she's the one who pushed me to learn about mediumship. I didn't even know that there was a name for that, for myself. So- I mean, maybe that sounds a little weird, but I didn't, I didn't know anything about this. So I was training as a medium. I was involved in my band, Gospel of the Witches. I was working, you know, paycheck to paycheck, but I was really growing quickly in this spiritualist, school that community that's part of I was secretary of the board you know had plans involving people other than myself with my life and then poof all of a sudden my main guide you can say who's like a witchy figure from Italy was bringing in these other feminine divinities and in really powerful ways Um, and I yeah I didn't know who to talk to about it I was like ooh, I think this is really happening (laughs) So I would write it down, you know, I just write everything down um, because in the spiritualist school, for example, they really like to focus on past on relatives and friends. So people you're speaking with, you can get factual evidence to give to people in a fleshy body and say like, okay, I'm not imagining things. This is real. So I was like, well, I don't know who to talk to about this. And I kind of kept it to myself and more and more of them were coming and they were really showing me a lot of things like they'd pull me into ecstatic trance or they'd give me downloaded information and I am just writing it all down. A lot of it was historical mm-hmm. and it was a little overwhelming because I was like, whoo, you know, people are like, what did you do with your night? I'm like, well, I hung out <laughs> in an ecstatic trance for, I don't know how many hours and, you know, I had this experience that I didn't know how to describe. So uh, during this time period, um, Davide went back to Italy to visit his mother and I couldn't go and she's from a li- lineage family. and They decided to take a trip to Benevento for me and they bought a book there um, about, you know, the magic walnut tree of Benevento and witches and, and the history. Um, and so we were, he was helping me translate it. I was transcribing, he was translating, and I kept falling into sort of trances where I was seeing visions. Mm -hmm. And so just personally, I said, well, I'm going to reach out to this author and just go there for myself. I'm going to plant myself in the South of Italy for three months, um, buy a bunch of bread and try to like make friends with the neighbors, (laughs) um, but it was like, poof, I let, I let some acquaintances I had through music know I was going. And then I think I did like a little online campaign saying, hey, I'm doing this, you know, passion journey quest. Yeah. And all of these people started... Um, emailing me or Facebooking me from Italy, like, Hi, I live here. And there's an old healer lady in the mountains who doesn't take visitors, but she seems to know who you are and wants you to come. Oh visit her. My you know, it's going to be like a 12 hour journey there, but are you up for it? And oh then it was like that all over the country. Oh. And so, and I was going by myself, um, Davide couldn't go. And it didn't speak really much Italian at this point, except a couple of invocations. Huh? <laughs> and so, so my acquaintances, you know, but it was like all these people came together and, you know, three hours after landing from my flights, I was, you know, journeying up a 3,000 foot mountain, you know, to meet the first person. So it was, it was like all these things were guided and connected together by spirit. And that's where I found myself doing all this. And so at the end of this three months, month period, when I came back to the U.S. and, you know, I didn't stay in a single hotel. I was living with acquaintances who are now friends or with new people I was meeting you know, on the countrysides, um, I've, you know, they were telling me, you know, write about this. I was like, I don't know how to write a book. (laughs) I don't know how to do this. And so, um, you know, I started doing things like, because I also met professors and historians and, um, you know, museum directors. And so people loaded me down with books so that I could understand Italian culture, aside from what I was learning from them when I was there. Mm -hmm. And it kind of, you know, I had everything I needed in all the interviews that I did, but I didn't really know what all of it, some of the words meant or how to describe it to other people. Hmm. So that then became my process of, you know, every day talking to these new friends that I had in Italy, more coming into my world, translating books by hand so that I could sometimes translate a whole book about a singular word to understand you know what that meant and really like embedding myself in the culture and of course returning to live there every year sure so mm. poof surprise oh, goodness, <laughs> you know? Karen, what an amazing journey
0: uh, yeah.
1: All yeah. Is, <laughs> and it's still going on but you know life plans <laughs> to the side
2: <laughs> sure. Of course. I just love how the book is laid out too. It, and just the pictures, everything is so accessible. It feels very practical. It feels very attainable. Um, and so many things have been like, wow, oh gosh, oh my gosh, that makes so much sense. Like the <laughs> the bull, the skull with the, you know, the bull with the horns being, you know, a representation yes. of the uterus mm-hmm. this has been like my new favorite knowledge this week.
1: It is exciting. And I have to give that all up to my guides because they, you know, I didn't know anything about history either. And they really pulled me along this journey. And then people helped me, you know, when I was in Italy, like read this or, Hey, let me teach you about this. And um, yeah. And that was another thing that I learned after writing my first book is like, there's really no, no place where you can go for like a collection of deposited stuff. Because when I was meeting people in all these different regions and villages, A lot of people embedded in those villages, like, didn't even know there were healers that still existed, Um, you know, so we would find one, Um, you know, or their uncle knew one or people didn't know that like the stuff that their grandma did, someone else did on the other side of the country, because regions are almost like different countries in Italy, it's like, um, there are so many different you know, cultural deposits and um, different peoples living there over time that, you know, there's different languages and different dialects and a lot of different practices. And but so I started realizing like, oh, you know, by the way, they do this over here. By the way, they do this over here. By the way, they do this over here. They just use a different plant. Um, You know, and it was very interesting because there is no, you know, if you talk to Italian, there really is no, cult quote unquote cult about of witches that has existed in Italy in a way where you would say that's a witch cult and it's a single unified system Mm. but in the rural world we find all the stuff you found in the book that is a unified system but it's not a system in the way we think about a system like in our contemporary times a system is a method we can practice our meditation skills, you know, a way that we can up our ante on our channeling skills, how to learn how to do things and how to do them better. You know, in the rural world, people were delivering their own babies without hospitals in some places till 2012, you know, Um, you know, we're talking about places that are cut off from a lot of outside influence, people that didn't read. And so these people don't have like a psychic language or vocabulary, but when you look at the book and see that all these people have these practices that are based on an idea, um, it's the same concept, but you find that. And so you find it in those places um, in that way. And so I thought the photos would be really helpful for people to see, like, oh, my grandma did that, or oh, I found that in the attic box, and that's what it means.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Isn't it so interesting how, like, all of these practices end up unifying everyone, and really, yes. and then also like grounding them into place, you know, like yes. like you said, like all these people have this really like deep land-based connection. The land is informing their practices. So they could be, you know, have no connection with each other, you know, um, brain to brain, language to language because of hundreds of miles between them, but yes. their practices are so similar.
1: Well, let's talk about
0: that. <laughs> That's <pretty> cool. <laughs>
1: because, you know, you're bringing up some really important things that, you know, if you haven't been to Italy, you might not know that there is really incredible terrain there. So Mm -hmm. someone can live near the sea, but maybe there's a mountain range in between them and the sea. So they never go there their whole life, you know, because if they don't have a car, they're not going to walk there. You know, there are plenty of people who sort of stay village, you know, villagey located, depending on where you're going. But we're talking, of course, over time until like even like, you know, the 1960s, the 1970s, where some of these places were still cut off from like even a lot of Italians by roads. So what's interesting that, that you find with these traditions that are, are rural, they're agriculture, like you were saying of the land is that there are two ways to inherit them, which is what's so exciting. So first of all, the, the earthly traditional way of inheriting these things. And what I'm saying, these things are what people inherit is a sort of energy charge, almost like an attunement, Mm -hmm. some special prayers that they say for whatever cure they are inheriting the power to cure, whether it's a spell breaking cure or a cure for an intestinal illness or an eyesight, you know, there's psychic illnesses and physical illnesses, but for each thing that you are empowered to cure or help you receive some words and those serve as like the passive channeling key I call Mm -hmm. because they're devotional words to a form of the divine feminine and that turns on the power the channeling power of that divine feminine being to work through the healer to make the cure work and then there are the actions there's usually very simple actions to do the cure they may be specified by plant you know, moon phase, uh, things like this, and then there are the physical matter that's used, which is really simple things. You know, river reeds, vines, sometimes spiders, um, walnut shells, certain plants, water, oil. Um, but you're you can inherit these things from an elder in your family if they're chose if you are chosen to receive them. I met a lot of people in lineage families who you know, were skipped or not passed on that information. So it's usually from your elder, you know, like women or female identified people often receive it from their mother or grandma, but not always. Masculine identified people receive it from their dad or their grandfather, but not always. Sometimes it crosses gender lines based on necessity in the community. Mm -hmm. You know, like if a healer is going to die out and that's the only healer, who knew how to cure this illness, um, like I talk about Autorino in the book, he was a glass salesman and a romance man in the neighborhood. His mother was like, you're gonna be a healer now because people need you. And so poof, you know, that became his his life. Um, but also mother-in-laws passed things on to like daughter-in-laws. So there's a lineage, you know, in inheritance because these are oral traditions. Now, however, What I find to be one of the most exciting things also is that for people, okay, I get tingles, outside of family lineages, broken families, people who uh, in all sorts of situations, why you wouldn't be in a family, but you're still maybe seeking this information or the world of spirit, you know, divinities and feminine guides who created this feel like you need it. There was this figure, well, they had different names, but it was divine feminine spirit who, Some places she's called the good lady or the great fairy, um, or sometimes she had little worker fairies who helped her, but she was a a figure in spirit who would come teach people how to, you know, um, travel out of their body into the astral realm. Some people with plants, some people just with their minds, and she would take them to what we call like the night school or, um, you know, the school... I think people call it like, you know, the good school, the school of the night games, the night school. (laughs) And she would teach them in a circuit, they'd have to sit in a very clean, organized circle. And she would teach them divination, um, you know, cures um, about all the technicalities of life after death. um, You know, and she would demonstrate things like this, um, like, okay, we're going to eat an animal for our dinner and then bring it back to life. It can't do the farm work anymore because it's in the realm of spirit now. Um, You know, sensual restoration. um, So all of the things that people learned perhaps through a family lineage, people were learning these in the spirit world from these spirits who created the practices. And then those helpful spirits, you know, the good lady and female saints and madonnas and all these other figures, goddesses, were the ones who may stay with you and help you train and learn how to use these
2: Practices mm. for the rest of your life,
0: oh, you're blowing my mind, girl. Oh, <laughs> no. <was> so cool!
2: <laughs> wow. I think this was in the back of the book where you talked yes. about week of the night. Absolutely, the night society so. that's what it was. Yeah. Yes. Oh. yes, could this be something that has occurred in a, a dream state? Um, also, could you be visited in a dream state and be sort of taught, like, would you physically know that it had happened or would you wake up and just like, there's some modern healers in, in the scope of things today that talk about downloads. Like, so maybe you received the information, but you don't recall exactly how you've received it. Sure. Can this come up similarly in this situation? Are you like, oh no, 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 no. I was visited by the great mother and. She took my sure, sure.
1: Oh, downloads can happen in all sorts of ways. Absolutely. But just to sort of give you some context, you know, dream traditions are really important part of like the rural world, like some people call it fence crossing, you know, they don't have that phrase in Italian, but, but um, so there are people who are really, fant- I mean, you know, fantastic dreamers in Italy, a lot of my friends among them, and I am not this astute, but, you know, astral travel with them is very natural or early or easy. And, you know, they will, like some of the documents that we have, which are hard to understand. If you look at them, you have to get through some of the language of the times. But people would feel things like an angel at their bed, you know, um, or they'd hear a drumbeat and then be suddenly aware that they're in a different environment than their bedroom or the kitchen, uh, you know, because sometimes you can get pulled into the the night school um, or the astral realm when you're not necessarily expecting it. Um, But I do work with a lot of people who have these dreams now. So some of them are very vivid, like astral travel. Some of them are just kind of lucid dreams where they're not as lucid as they could be, but they're aware that they're somewhere and there's a lady teaching them things and interacting with them in a certain way. I also usually, I haven't the last couple months, but usually once a month I give a, a night school trance where I use the energy of the trance and I bring you know forward feminine divinities like La Senora del Joco and take people on a guided meditation to the night school where they can feel her presence in a way that's like channeling, which, and because the trance is guided by the spirits who are overlooking this, um, you know, this may give you the ability to travel in the astral realm after this, or maybe you will still meet in dreams that are dreams or slightly more lucid dreams. So there are different combinations. Some people I've had conversations with, or in my experiences, I'll have dreams and I'm being taught in my dreams. The more I've learned how to be lucid in my dreams, the more interaction I have in those, but she can come find you in a dream state and teach you. But download is also possible. The dream aspect is important simply because it puts you in the practice of using your imagination or your psychic eyes, let's say. And so you're co-creating, you know, you're, whether you're imagining that you're going to the night school, and then you feel your dream change, and you're joined by one of these feminine figures, um, or you're having this dream happen to you. It's part of the tradition of learning that way. So it's just important to kind of keep that in mind. In our current time period, downloading is really Applicable for us, right? Because we're on the go, we don't always dream as much, we're busy, busy, busy. But the whole idea of learning through dreams and the imagination is you get shown and demonstrated sights, sensations, certain key symbols of things and the way things are done. For example, you know, in the rural world, there are community celebrations around food and magical breads and things like this, on certain points of the solstice and equinox clock. And, you know, so there's celebration around food and sometimes sex and fertility and agriculture. And so in the dream world, you know, of the the night school, these similar types of things are participated in. So if you were at the night school, you may learn some things about, you know, the universe and how it works and then be treated to a spirit dinner celebration with dancing and you know, festivities. And this is only important because it contains like lineage links to how things have been done traditionally, if that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. So it can be helpful having these kind of dreams and being like, oh, this is what I experienced and it has a precedent. Hmm. <laughs> oh, yeah. it's just i mean Me <laughs> well it means these things are alive you know because right. i do i do meet a lot of people who are very sad that they didn't know their like italian ancestors or yeah. some of them died you know before they got to they were old enough to ask them questions like right. this right. and you know so a lot of my work is encouraging people to you know learn how to channel or at least engage with your imagination a little bit more deeply because your ancestors or any of these spirits who've created these practices um, can come and teach you them because they're alive. Their consciousness yeah. is still alive. So nothing is lost.
2: Yeah. I love that you're saying that. Allison and I get so many questions from our incredible community about I'm adopted, yep. I, I've never met my biological parents, I don't know my family, or I never got to know my grandma. And I love hearing you share this, because I, I, I've always felt like, well, you can, but they're right there, you know, <laughs> So I love hearing you share this, like, yes. for, the, for the folks listening. Yeah, absolutely. Like, there's still a place that that can be reached. And, you know, I think that comes
1: from a place of pain, because look, we live in the physical world, and we're used to engaging with physical objects. And so we feel like it's, you know, because our society has changed, right? Psychic people are crazy, you know, obviously people yes. are embracing it more, but this is not part of our culture, a way of, as a way of life anymore, right? So people don't know that not everyone knows there's this possibility. Um, but so we're really connected to our the physical world around us. So if we don't know relatives, we kind of feel like, oh, I don't belong anywhere. Or if we don't know what to use in our magic, we're like, I don't know how to do it. And it really isn't true because you also have a spirit and your spirit is that, unlimited side of you that's always connected to, to source. Um, So, you know, the, the potential and possibilities for reconnecting to anything you seek really are there. It's a matter of like, you know, learning how, and the nice thing is, you know, when you start learning how it unfolds and you realize, oh, I've already done, I've always done that my whole life, or I was always sensitive to this. And, you know, it becomes a thing where as everything unfolds and teaches you, your whole life kind of comes and makes sense. Like a, the puzzle piece is getting put
0: back together. Absolutely. And it's also about trusting yourself too in the whole process. Yes, yes. (laughs) That's one of the things that is,
1: you know, I kind of say the most, you know, it's really about you learning to trust yourself, finding, um, you know, perhaps some tools to help you, but that really the tools are to help you. They're not for you to follow someone else's way. Right. Everyone needs a little bit of help, organization, cleaning up so that you can become more clear, organized, but, but really there, you know, there are all sorts of paths because there are all sorts of people. <laughs> <laughs>
0: It's oh. true. Um, Karen, I was really intrigued by this, um, this notion that you write about this concept of pre-pagan. Can you talk a little bit more about that and what, what that um, phrase means to you?
1: Sure, because, you know, I think someone was asking about Roman traditions anyway. So, yeah, for example, let's say Italy, but around the world, but we'll say Italy. Um, You know, before the Romans came on scene, and and I'll talk about what that means, but there were like domestic spiritual practices. Mm -hmm. You can even see some old, you know, temples in the shapes of circles that look more like you know, the, the belly or female body parts, or even without saying that, we can just say they were circular, okay? <laughs> and, you know, natural caves were used. Um, and so there was this veneration for the universe being a divine feminine force, not that, you know, masculinity didn't exist, but that there was, that everything came from the divine feminine source and everything returns to the divine feminine source, which is an energy, not really a person. Right. However, she was venerated in the form of the female body, simply because on earth, if we're going to connect these things to nature in the early spirituality, which we can call shamanism around the world and indigenous practices, we're all connected to nature. So the symbolic language and the tools, you could look to nature and understand what it meant. There were no wild out there symbols that you had to like read a whole book and train under a teacher to learn what they meant. (laughs) We're speaking a language, a psychic language based on nature and the universe come down to earth. And so these practices, you know, honored the the great mother, also in grains and, you know, beans and things like wheat that were regenerated. That was the most coveted force was the regenerational possibilities, you know, Mm -hmm. of menstrual blood, life after death, babies, things like this. And, you know, according to some people, this was a very peaceful way of living because everyone had a place. You'll even hear that people, Italian people will say, oh, everything has its place, you know. Mm. And it was really all about nature and, you know, female people and I believe people of other genders, um, you know, were, were played important roles in this because, well, they were taking care of life. And so all these practices of mediumship, channeling, curing, it came out of necessity and they were handed down to people from the spirits, like we mentioned in Italy. Now, what ended up happening in the historical period? I think the time period was like mm, 2500 BC to 4500 BC, somewhere in there. What ended up happening were, you know, masculine tribes horse- on horseback of men with weapons who were doing things like. Um, you know, hoarding some natural resources, domesticating animals, going into production, you know, it was like the industrial revolution of antiquity. Mm -hmm. Um, They invaded a lot of these communities and sort of rearranged communities, you know, you're my property now, lady, and I'm going to write down the magic and put it in the books and you can't have it anymore. And the spiritual myths show that, you know, theft occurred, like um, all the natural symbols that meant regeneration, or positive things became attributed to man as the center of the universe, who had his babies, you know, pop out of his forehead, fully armored and ready to go to war, you know, like things that really don't make sense in in connection with nature. So we have all these synthetic practices happening and emulations of things that took place in nature, like square, beautiful square temples, but emulating caves instead of being in the caves. Um, you know, goddesses um, available only in the inner chambers to people who were elite and wealthy nobles who could afford to pay to get into the inner chamber versus the spirit visiting you while you're washing your clothes at the river and getting those, that informational download. Um, You know, so it wasn't just the Romans, of course, Greeks and, you know, other historical, this happened, you know, all around the world where the sort of natural accessibility to what we would call magic or you know bettering life through help from the world of spirit and all the ways that we can do that became hierarchical you know you can come into this temple if you make a certain amount of money or you can pay to leave an offering here so if you wanted to learn these things sorry you're not nobility you're off limits you know Mm -hmm. um or by the way this this tradition has a masculine vocabulary now. So first you have to study what we say it means, and then you can maybe decipher some of the symbols, and then maybe you can understand how to learn, use this magical practice, uh, which was sometimes based on commerce, you know, like how to get stuff. Oracles were used to determine outcomes of war. Mm -hmm. It was very apocalyptic instead of, you know, spiritual or ancestral, Um, you know, a lot of magic, you know, came into play of like how to curse your neighbor you're jealous of, you know? I mean, you know, more human things. So that's what I mean by like pre-pagan, like people tend to use the word pagan in a wrong way. They're like, everything, you know, is pagan. Well, really not. Like you have a lot of different practices outside of the church. That was just another word that was supposed to describe something. It really wasn't supposed to be a category you know, like the cult of Mithra is different from like the Vestal Virgins is different from Inanna is different from, you know, on and on, um, you know, and, and along the way, when these practices and the spiritual myths change to masculine ones, we have, you know, the original feminine abundance goddesses like Diana, who had no husband, she had no daughter, she was, so you'll find also, you know, in Italy, for example, the earlier feminine figures who got remodeled you know, and to have slimmer bodies and more fabulous robes <laughs> and 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 you know, they they went from being like abundance figures who helped cure, who helped during childbirth, who helped bring you whatever knowledge you needed to improve life in a magical way. They became like supporters of war. You know, wearing armor with spears, you know, promoting hunting of animals. And so, you know, everything changed to support masculine directives. Mm -hmm. So, you know, people don't know that there was stuff before what was written down because, well, who wrote the stuff down? The men in power. So a lot of people were eradicated from history, you
0: know. Blowing me away, girl. I love it. (laughs) I love it so much. Yeah. And you know, I'm, I think that that really makes a lot of sense. And also if we, if we use the word pagan, we're also kind of framing it within Christianity too, because of, you know, the way that um, that word has been used uh, throughout the ages to decipher between Christian or non-Christian as well.
1: Yeah, and and you know generally a lot, the way that a lot of people use the word pagan is to talk about cults that were in like mm-hmm. Greek or Mormon times or the, the more famous ones you know that we know from that period, and those are ones that were really masculinized. Nothing wrong with men, but they were masculinized to represent marriage, like arranged marriages. So you have the god and his wife people of other genders are sort of eradicated from a lot of those spiritual practices. They just don't exist in that history. And there were a lot of agendas there. I, you know, a lot of people don't know that, you know, if you're trying to prove that like a witch called existed through Roman documentation, it's the same thing as using the maleus maleficarum to say women are evil. And this is how they really were because yeah. Roman documents had agendas. And there was a big agenda, for example, in Italy to get rid of the countryside midwives, healers, and sorceresses, because even wealthy people would go to some of them to get their babies delivered because they were very good at it. (laughs) And so there was an agenda, you know, in partnership with the church, with the church to sort of give bad names To women who are connected to the spirit world and who could do all these things without an education as I wrote about like in my first book because you know they were trying to have the corner on medical establishment by starting schools for men only and you know so there was a lot of agenda written into what the Romans documented so you can't like take those records as being all that there was.
0: Gotta read through the propaganda. (laughs) Yeah Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, Oh my gosh. There's just, there's
2: so much information. (laughs) That's what's so incredible about this book is it is absolutely packed. It's packed. Every time I turn a page, there's something else that, that, you know, I'm, I'm learning from. And I love when you're also, and I know that in your uh, second book, volume one, Italy's um, healers, um you really talk about a little bit more specifically to sort of one-on-one information but you touch on it a little bit in this book and i love seeing how you're meeting these people and their stories and the tools that they're using and how they're you know sharing their you know, healing abilities with their community. It's just so inspiring to me. I like, for example, Antoinette's use of spider webs has been something I'm just thinking like, I love, I mean, and and again, it's like what you guys were talking about. You're in this specific terrain and this is available to you. And this is what you're going to use.
1: Yeah. What a cool idea, right? Spider webs as a bandaid. It's pretty natural.
0: Absolutely. <laughs> oh, that's Karen, amazing. Yeah, could you um, tell our listeners a little bit about olive oil divination?
1: Yeah, well, sure. So, thank you. A lot of people have heard of the evil eye, you know, around the world, um, and so in in Italy too. There's a belief, even in uh, among contemporary culture, it's very active. Um, you know, every family pretty much knows about this, no matter what they know about. And Italians are very connected to their history, but. They believe that through the power of your eyes, you know, through the power of your will, intention, that you can, in one of two ways, transfer envy to someone else, which is invidia, which would give you the il malocchio, the bad eye. So, if you are, you know, a naturally envious person and you're just kind of jealous of other people and you're like, oh, so and so got a new shirt or a new car is successful right now. Um, I'm going to, you know, send a spell to them to trip them up somehow, um, you know, so you can do that with it. There's all sorts of different types of, you know, ugly spells you can do to do that. But some people are able to do that just with the power of their eye, which is Using your mind and your intention. Now there's a belief also that some people do it intentionally. What we would call here kind of passive aggressive people are like woe is me, nothing ever goes my way. You know, the people who maybe complain and they're in a victim mindset and they're not intentionally trying to be mean to you when they talk to you, but you know, maybe they're complaining about something that happened in their day and they notice you're you've got a new purse. And so they naturally start coveting that person, sending some of their negative energy away. So those are the general ways that you could get the evil eye. Mm -hmm. And the way to cure the evil eye is to use a sympathetic cure, a sympathetic magical cure, which is, and there are many variations, but you basically have a bowl of water, like a a a shallow plate, like a, a soup bowl with water. And you use olive oil to put three, seven, or nine drops of oil into the water. What do they look like? Eyeballs, right? We're using the shape of an eye to determine who put the evil eye on us, and to psychically be able to read how what is happening, what area of your life is this trying to affect you? Did a man, woman do it, or a woman do it? How many people did this, etc.? And so you would put the drops of oil in the bowl of water and you would pay attention to how they move. Did they separate, come together? Did they break apart? Form the form of like a necklace. There's different ways of reading the shape and the way that the oil drops move in the water. And so it's diagnostic in that way. And it's also curative because after you do it the first time, you have to throw away the water and oil in some place that someone else won't ca- catch that negative energy. And you do it two more times and you pay attention to the oil drops to see if it's clearing the connection between you. And, you know, perhaps a spell that someone put on you, um, you know, or maybe a a negative spirit was part of that, too. Um, And so I wrote in my first book, Experiencing, Receiving This, and I've had other people do this for me. But that's the basic idea, if that makes sense. Mm
0: -hmm. Mm -hmm. Very clear.
1: And people are specialists in this. Like some people can see if the evil eye on you is from past lives. Some people can see, um, you know, if it's a really badly intended one by someone who's really good at black magic, you may have to go to the lady on the mountain in the next village, you know? Or like, so there's specialists and they know what they can do or not to help the person based on the way that oil is moving. And then there are some finishing touches at the end. Some people put in like a piece of ember from the fire to sort of cauterize and to completely cut the psychic cord between you and the negativity or scissors and the water. Some people use gold rings and oil and they don't use the water at all. Um, But it's basically a way of psychically checking in on why do you have these symptoms, Mm -hmm. brain fog? Why are you listless? Why do you have an unknown fever? Um, Why are you suddenly depressed for no reason? Why are you having weird little accidents? when you go to work on your favorite project, why do you like lose time for a couple of hours? So there are very clear symptoms, you know, could sometimes just be a headache, Mm -hmm. Um, but there are very clear symptoms that you receive um, that could be the evil eye. So then you'd go find the person who can, you know, diagnose it and hopefully cure it for you.
2: This kind of feels like it goes in tandem with revealing the black magic witch that you talk about in terms of boiling the clothes in the cauldron.
1: Well, that is, you know, that's another method for doing something similar, but that's not really curative. It's more like revealing, It's a okay. big reveal.
2: Uh-huh. I just find that so fascinating.
1: Like the black cat also, <laughs> Yeah. Uh, you know, there are a lot of different ways that people, they're not using the language of psychically perceiving who's spying on them, but for example, um, I like to teach this one nursery rhyme, uh, this Italian nursery rhyme, which shows that part of this ritual is catching the tail of the cat. So there's this belief, like, if you're at your home and you're doing your thing, maybe you're on the computer cooking and you see the shadow of a black cat run by you, sometimes white, and it's not your familiar, you know, maybe your familiar is in now. That means someone's psychically spying on you. Um, Which does tie into a lot of the rural myths, but there's a belief that people can hide just like, you know, how spirit attachments hide themselves behind fluffy black clouds, or shadows. Yeah. So it's the same idea that people who are really good at spying on other people psychically will hide behind the shadow of a cat, for example. Mm -hmm. So if you see a cat running through your room, you're supposed to try to chase after and catch the tail, knowing that it's a Vesper. But if you try to catch the tail, you might suddenly have a hit. You might suddenly clairvoyantly see the face of the person who's spying on you. Or you might hear the name, you know, clairaudiently at that moment of the person Mm -hmm. who is trying to... Create a spell against you. Mm,
0: mm. Mm, Interesting. So, the
1: boiling the clothes and all these things are similar.
0: Mm. Karen, why do you think that they're choosing olive oil as their uh, main magical tool in this process?
1: Well, I asked, uh, I asked Flamina, and she's like, what else would I use? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. like, you know, We've had olive oil for 2000 years. Fair enough. <laughs> it's everyone, it's in everyone's house. You know, they're like, yeah. why? Else? And that's one of the beauties of the simplicity. So, <laughs> you know, in the rural world are people doing the type of magic that I talk about specifically in this book. They're using things in their house that grow outside their home yeah. that they can walk down maybe a little ways into the mountain trail to gather. Like people don't go to stores to buy their supplies, maybe oil sometimes these days, but, you know, we're talking about accessible stuff that's been part of the home and the kitchen mm-hmm. for, you know, generations. Um, so I asked the same thing. Why? I'll like, why, what else would I use?
2: <laughs> I love that. I love a lot of the uses for garlic too. How garlic is, is, um, you know, so often reached for also in some of the warding and the healing as well. Well, let's
1: talk about that. I mean, what is one of, if we were not looking at garlic, well, we could look at garlic and what it helps physically to see what it would help psychically, right? Because in the rural world, you know, illnesses are psychic and physical and in the spirit world affects the physical world and vice versa. So we're always dealing with some element of our own solar spirit or a negative, you know, energy coming our way or a negative spirit affecting us or vice versa. So what is one of the best things about garlic?
0: It dispels. (laughs)
1: yeah it gets rid of like things like viruses Uh right yep and what so why would you want to use that in the world of spirit to get rid of a negative spirit attachment well you're getting rid of the parasitical um energy right Mm
0: -hmm. it's just like a virus yeah yes
1: exactly because you know the idea of a virus in rural italy in terms of the psychic component the psychic component like in in the illness i think i write about vermi in the book which means worms is like there is believed that you can receive an illness through psychic fright that manifests physically. So what does that mean? Maybe you saw a ghost and it scared you, or maybe someone said something really mean to you and you you kind of gasped a little bit, or you saw an accident and, you know, you had that moment where you kind of gasped or had a little bit of shock. And in that moment of shock, somehow some negative energy got in. Mm. Um, and it's believed that it connects to your belly area I mean people in the rural world how wise is this they believe that your belly area is the mouth of soul now in our contemporary times we say that's the vagus nerve that receives much more information than the brain does right and people are talking about gut wisdom how your gut is your second brain you know how it knows more and so you know they use garlic to cut that connection between that energy that psychic fright or the spirit who's causing the psychic fright against your belly button area where it made its way in through the mouth of the soul by using garlic in a variety of ways but that's just one example
0: i I think it's fascinating again that you know garlic ends up being a magical tool across many cultures too you know in, in scottish um magical traditions it's very similar um You know, it just, it's, it's very interesting that um, these plants end up kind of, or the spirit world ends up kind of telling us like what you know, what to use certain things for, no matter what the location is.
1: It's all connected. It's like a it whole is. language. Like if oh. you look at the rural recipes for Amaro, which is like an after dinner bitter drink,
0: I have um, a you'll see. My house. <laughs> yeah, there you go.
1: It's all the same herbs that are used in like the hundred flowers water, which is used to clean the body and clean the house of negative energy. It's the same things used in, um, so for me, G, like the burnables to cure someone of, you know, negative energy or negative spirits, because these, you know, plants have some of these naturally apotropaic or protective properties. So you see these same herbs used all over the world.
0: Um, Leslie, did you have anything else you wanted to do? Yeah, talk? I have
2: one other thing. Please, I just, please. I, I, I keep absolutely. talking about revealing the black witch, but the succubi. The the whole sleep paralysis iron. in the iron and the hair. I if you could talk about that just a little bit, I think our listeners would just really they our listeners love this kind of you know interesting <laughs> stuff and I and you know as a person that's experienced a little bit of this in my life, I find it so fascinating this concept of hair versus iron.
1: Yes, so this is an interesting thing. Um, so we just were talking about some different herbs, the collections of herbs that are used to get rid of negativity and negative spirits. And one of the things, if you research them, you'll find that most of them have a high iron content. And so in rural Italy, we see iron horseshoes, you know, iron nails, um, you know, pieces of iron, poems. Like there's a lot of ways to release yourself also from negative spirits that are call and response, using words that are talking about iron because you know iron. Believe believed to protect you against negative spirits or if they're around you can use iron to trap them in place if you want to catch them and reveal who they are or to send them on their way and so there's a really there's a whole you know there's a belief of a whole variety of types of spirits that are hanging around potentially in people's homes um you know the passed on women who tended to the kitchen before or um you know the some of the negative like you were saying succubi um, are connected to you know sadly but sometimes it's true um, you know witches who are really good at astral traveling and shape shifting and you know venturing out into the neighborhood in the form of energy um, but we know that, you know, there are plenty of succubi who aren't witches, right? There are people, they're just negative spirits who are trying to take some energy out of us. But there's a belief that, um, if you wake up and there's one of these spirits on you, and sometimes it looks like an eel. Um, like I saw one that kind of looked like a, a black bowling ball with a tail behind it, almost like a, a tadpole
0: mm-hmm. or an
1: eel, that there's some call and response you can say, to trap them with the iron um, in it. I think it's in in the book. It's either in my first or second book, um, or release them. Um, and you know that iron is important to just like things like brooms to protect you against negative spirits who might do things like steal your horses at nights um, and you know put braids in their hair. Is that what you were referring to, or you're referring yeah. to the yeah, so there's there's a belief which you'll find in other cultures too, that there are helpful and harmful spirits that may, you know, take your horses. A horse is an animal that's prayed to in rural Italy for astral travel support. Um, that you know, people take the horse um, and journey to the moon on the horse, and then the horses come back with braids in their hair, mm-hmm. and and usually oil all over their body, allegedly done by you know, good or bad witches. Um, and some people believe those braids are like a positive good luck thing and some other people are really frustrated by them, you know. Um, so they try to keep like iron around to protect protect their horses or brooms nearby. But then there's an also a belief that's primarily Sicilian one, that um, if you wake up in the middle of the night and you have a little dreadlock or a braid more dreadlocks than braids in your hair, whether you're a child or an adult, but it mostly happens to younger people, that this is um, into this braid or into this dreadlock has been woven some protective magic for your health by mm-hmm. the patronedi, the female spirits of the house who sometimes look over infl- you know, embodied children in a loving way. And so that is seen as a positive thing and you're not supposed to cut it or you cut that you know, protection over your health. So, you you know, people grow up having this singular dread in the back of their head given to them by spirits. But in terms of succubi and ghosts coming into the house that are harmful, iron is one of those all-purpose protections. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, even poking at the spirits with an iron rod or, um, you know, using herbs that have iron in them, keeping iron on your person. A lot of people who carry those little protection pouches have an iron fish hook or an iron nail to just keep, the negative spirits away from them in the first place.
2: I've got a nine on my back porch delivered by my Italian redheaded friend. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. I think you need these.
1: I love it. But I hope that speaks to what you're saying. Like, for example, when I was in uh, Guardia San Fermandi, they, people were telling me about the, the succubi at night and they were crossing their arms and crossing their legs. when they would tell me about it, sometimes crossing their fingers to close the circuit. You know, those of us in a contemporary sense, we would say like, if there was a spirit attachment or an energy vampire around, we would close our circuit, right. By like crossing our arms and legs or turning our body away from that. And so they would say that, you know, oh, these succubi come in, at night you know sometimes they visit the whole family and you have to say the words about iron um, you know to protect you and um, I told them that while I was there I I had a lucid dream I was waiting for my friend to pick me up and in the lucid dream though I was trying to get back into um, the place I was staying the apartment I was staying in in Italy and there was some weird note on the wall and um, someone behind the door kept trying to close it on me but they were blowing through me like a wind like a breeze. And I wrote about that dream in there and they're like, Oh yeah, that's one of them. <laughs> now some people call them Yanara, like the local witches there. Um, which is a little lo- you know, a little bit unfair. And I think that's just fear because you know, a lot of those people can't fence cross, but it's really more in reference to a negative spirit that's going to drain your
2: energy.
0: Mm-hmm. Karen, thank you for all of that uh, knowledge. I just I could Just drink it up. You know, it's your experience and your knowledge is really fascinating and um, inspiring. Mm -hmm. Thank you. I'm glad it's helpful. Thank you. Okay, we're going to move on to some listener questions. Hey, you guys, this is Allison popping in to say that Land Spirits has a very excellent promo code going on right now for you, dear listeners. You can save 15% off of any wild plant spirit medicine in our shop. Just go to landspiritsalchemy.com. And when you are checking out, offer code is going to be PLANTHAG. 15% off anything in our shop. We love you. Alex from Michigan writes, thank you both for your show and your work. You're inspiring and such a help in my life. As witches who work with clients, how are your readings or client work impacted by what you want to tell people based on what you think they need to hear in their situation? And what happens when you feel like you have to tell your clients something really negative about themselves? (laughs)
1: Um, Well, this is a great question. (laughs) But I guess it depends on what method you're using to give your reading. For example, um, as a channeler, I always connect with my team of guides for readings. Um, So I rely on my team of guides to channel through me what needs to be said. Mm -hmm. Of course, there are some things that I'm perceiving just with my psychic senses. But because I work with a team of guides, you know, and and I always sort of make my intention that our work together is for like empowerment, expansiveness, etc. You know, they tend to focus on giving me information that helps someone go from where they are to where they may need to go. Um, So it's not that we can't get real. (laughs) You know, I am handing over my opinion of where someone needs to improve themselves based on what I can see. And I'm turning it over to a slightly higher consciousness to help me navigate that. Because, of course, um, some people may not be ready to heal, or some people may not want to hear bad news if you have bad news. And so, even if I have to get really direct, sometimes, right, people want to be spoken to really directly in readings and things. I find that, you know, my team of guides helps me say that in a way that's more digestible for them based on the words that are chosen, the examples given, the encouragement or support that's given. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. If once in a while, you know, you run into someone that you can tell doesn't want to be there and they really don't want to hear anything helpful, uh, you can conclude that reading, you know, why spend your time working on that. But So, you know, but that is a big challenge when you have to tell someone something negative about themselves, but I tend to ask my guides to help me say what I need to say. Do we need to reinforce their bad habits or do they already need, do they already know them? And can we focus on where to go from here? Mm -hmm. Sometimes when you focus on where to go from here, people get it. They're like, oh yeah, I had that bad habit and that's why I need to make these changes. So I tend to to navigate around the stuff like, okay, someone knows their stuff. Mm -hmm. If they're going to ask me a direct question about their stuff, um, you know, and if they keep making that same pattern choice, is it going to take them somewhere new? Then we have to say no, uh, and why? But it's a little bit difficult to answer specifically when I'm not exactly sure what, you know, the negative thing is. Um, so I'm trying to speak to a variety of things
2: at once. <laughs> yeah. I know for me as a tarot reader, when I first started doing readings, it was really you know I was understanding my connection to ethics and morals um, as it relates to my client and And for a lot of times I would I would have difficulty because I don't like I'm'm I'm, you know ultimately I want to make people happy. I'm an uplifter. I don't want to deliver bad. You know, information or any any sort of um, messages that might be difficult to digest. so I say would always kind of come like allow me to speak messages with compassion and clarity and gentleness. Um, and the more that I surrendered to what my guides wanted me to say in my intuition, the easier um, I felt and the more comfortable I felt as a reader mm-hmm. sharing um sensitive information. Mm-hmm. Lovely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How, do you come do you come to that Allison in the work that you do?
0: Yeah, I do. Um my my work is different than yours. Um you know, I I primarily work with people on like the physical plane, you know, their bodies and you know all of those um uh those sorts of things. So for me when when I'm working with a client who's really having a hard time with certain habits that are impacting their physical health. I try to kind of redirect as well. So acknowledge, you know, the, the problem with kindness in my voice of course, but then try and be proactive and redirect behaviors. It's, it's very similar though. It's Mm -hmm. very similar because you have to, you know, delivering bad news to people, all three of us are not here to harm. We're here to help. So I think it's it's always about um, kindness and being tender with folks.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Absolutely. Yeah.
2: yeah. Thank thanks, you, Alex. That is a great question. Thank you, Karen. Yeah. Well, thanks, Karen. Thank you. <laughs> Our next question comes from Christine in California. Christine writes in, I have been having the same bad dream over and over, and I'm worried that it may turn into my reality because I'm constantly thinking about it. Is there any way I can make sure this doesn't happen by getting the dream out of my subconscious mind? Love the podcast, by the way.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think this is a fabulous question. Um, I think it's really important to remember that your thinking mind is a tool, So it gathers information, it transmits information, and you can change this information. So when we're talking about our thinking mind, our thinking mind works on repetition. So, you know, we have beliefs, right? And a belief and a worry, these things are, whether they were implanted in us by people around us or we created them and then attached them to an emotion, they've been repeated over and over again. So they build, you know, and so to change this, you can simply repeat something else and your body will believe you and, the, and you'll be able to change yourself out of that belief into something new. So especially when you cement it with emotions. So let's apply this to the dream they're speaking about. So one thing you can do is if you wake up from the dream, this repetitive dream that's been, you know, making you feel yucky, you can try to... Not move, you know. Stay there, and re-enter the dream with the decision that you're going to change it in some way. Like, because it's your dream, and you know, some of us don't realize. Like, oh, it's my dream. I don't have to accept what happened there. I can go in and rework it. Maybe I want to change the ending and be the hero or the heroine, um, or you know, maybe I'm going to rescue all the people and change, you know, the whole story of the dream. Um, of course, there may be messages coming through the dream too, but this is one thing that you can do. Now, if you find this really difficult to do, to sort of like go back into a dream, you could, for example, spend some time later in the day daydreaming, meaning, um, you know, set your alarm for 10 minutes or so and get relaxed and try to just re-enter this dreamscape in your imagination. It doesn't have to be technicolor or as vivid as it was. And change it, you know, practice being in the stream, changing it. Change some of the components, change some of the people, change the beginning, middle ending, and imagine that you're being in this dream as you're changing it, and you're really creating a new pathway, and, you know, you'll feel your emotions change, especially if you repeat it, and you'll, you may find that the dream stops repeating itself. Um, Now, this is a little bit different from if your dream has a message, because the question really here is like, I'm afraid that I'm going to. Make this happen because I keep having this dream. So that's kind of what I'm speaking to here: is use the power of your brain, knowing that it works on repetition, and repeat some new habits to change the feeling or the fabric of that dream.
2: Same, yeah, that's uh, incredible. Yeah, uh, love it. <laughs> and <some> a <laughs> plus advice. <laughs> Christine, because I've, I've had to do this myself, and I've done the same exact just as, as Karen has described. Um, if this is a dream that you feel uncomfortable re- re- repeating in this physical daydream space, you know, putting yourself um, in a protective circle, calling in your guides to protect you as you're doing this work, asking, this, asking them to come into the dream and help you work through it also um, has been something that I've utilized. Karen, has that ever been anything that you've worked with as well?
1: Oh yeah, I'm sorry that I didn't mention that. (laughs) It's usually like the main component. But so thank you for adding that. Yes, absolutely. Because your guides, as you know, as you're saying, they will join the dream and and work with you there.
2: (laughs) Your guides, they guide you through things. (laughs) I love it. That's
0: great. Allison, anything to add? Nope, nope. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I, uh, I those uh, some longtime listeners know I'm not much of a dreamer. So, yeah, you know, uh, you're a lover. <laughs> I am a lover. It's true. Okay, so our next category are um, questions <laughs> submitted. It. Yeah, it's a category. Questions submitted from Instagram directly through um, some stories that we had. Um, we didn't gather people's names. So we're just going to kind of, you know, um, run through them. And these questions are specifically for Karen. hmm Oh, yeah. All right, Karen. (laughs) So our first uh, one uh, from Instagram is what makes Italian magic special and how can I incorporate more of it into my life?
1: Fabulous. So we touched on some of this at the beginning of this talk. Um, In reference to my book, you know, I'm referring to rural magic. As I mentioned, you know, there isn't really a, a system of witch cults or magic around Italy that, you know, was ever agreed upon as a system, except that you find in the rural world. And it's something that was spread around by the good lady, as we called her, La Signora del Gioco, or La Fata Maggiore, the great fairy. Um, You know, it was a feminine figure, like we think of goddesses, but she didn't have like a Roman or a Greek goddess name. Um, So, you know, they're kind of some of the things that we talked about um, in terms of making life or bringing life back into balance with having a relationship with plants and flowers getting to know a form of the divine feminine who doesn't have a masculine counterpart or letting her reveal herself to you um you know learning to use a lot of the simple methods of divination diagnosis and cure that have to do with really simple things around the house Um, you know, and channeling is really an important part of that um, because these all of this magic that I'm referring to and the and the ma- medical magical cures, for example, use prayers or invocations that serve as like a, a bond between you and the, you know, source, divine, feminine, you um, and so people inherit these prayers, but you can find plenty of retired prayers or invocations online, and ask your guides to work through them to help you do some of these things. And you know, all of the all of the sort of magic and divination and um, cures are really about um, bringing back to balance something that has. Gone out of balance. So, whether we mentioned like psychic illness, um, spirit attachment issues, a physical ailment, um, evil eye upon you, fertility issues, digestion, um, you know, all sorts of things in the spirit world or in the world of the physical, um, you know, there are in the second half of my book a lot of different recipes on how to bring that into balance using some actions, some nature and some invocations. So it's really a spirit world design system given to people inherited. So the way that I like to describe the best way to bring more of this into your life through people is kind of like what I already said. It's really great to... You know, learn a little bit, like go to Italy, learn about the land from some of the people or from here, learn about some of the common plants and try to let them speak to you. Um, Try not to worry about what maybe the books say about them first, let them speak to you. You know, I was taught by old ladies in Tuscany to hang plants, dried plants by my door and talk to them every day. What do I need to keep my eye on? Is there something that I've forgotten? Do I need to be wary of something? And like, see the personality in your plant and how they're guiding you for the day or, you know, putting plants in little jars, and they're labeled only on the bottom, so you don't know what they are, and lean yourself towards whatever the plant is that you're feeling called to, or put then a little piece of paper, stick it against your heart, or in your bra, or in your pocket, or somewhere, and let that plant teach you through the day by paying attention to where your attention goes, and It's a slower process for learning about plants, but little exciting, magical things happen along the way to connect you to what that plant is trying to teach you. And because a lot of it is about listening to source or the divine feminine or the universe through the plants, through the wind, through the pomegranate falling onto the floor, um, along with some of these inherited recipes, we could say, for doing things. So I realize that's a little bit general, but this is different because these are oral traditions. So they're a little bit different from what you can't go out and find like a grimoire <laughs> that's gonna tell you to like do this kind of thing. But a lot of magic, like you know, Wiccan type things and a lot of things that people practice were based on these rural traditions. So they're not gonna look so different. They're going to you know, be the root cause of where a lot of cord cutting and things like this came from but they work in partnership with the helpful world of spirits.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Fantastic. I have a lot of experience with this personally, as far as how, you know, I develop my relationship with different plants. And I will say, um, just to reiterate on this, you have to trust your body. What your body tells you when you're interacting with a specific plant and you have to believe it. That's the really important part of it. You have to believe, you know, the the
1: main belief behind these things is sort of like what we call in our contemporary times, the law of abundance or the law of attraction. You know, there's a belief there, a really strong belief all across Italy, that mindset matters. You know, you create your reality from your thoughts. Um, people really embrace this idea there. So in the in the world of rural magic that we're talking about, you know, your mindset can draw to you envy or, mm-hmm. um, you know, a negative spirit in the spirit world can affect your physical world. You can physically protect your body by by using plants or homemade amulets or something that will keep the spirits at bay in the world of spirit. You know, so everything, like the world of spirit in the physical world, they're not really separate. They're, you know, parallels of each other. So the work you do in the physical affects the spirit and vice versa.
2: Yeah, that's that. Yeah, perfect. Okay, the next question we have are, is, shall I say, are there major differences between Italian and Sicilian magic? There are. So for talking
1: about the rural world, again, like all of these inherited practices, you'll see all the same types of illnesses and cures that you will on the mainland even though sicilians consider themselves not italian right um but you will find differences in plants for example um like in sicily there are a lot of seaweeds used some of them are actually poisonous to cure like um, or to get rid of like negative spirits um and you know those seaweeds don't grow on the mainland for example um so you know, you'll find uh, different animal parts are used um, or they're not used in Sicily and they're used on the on the mainland. And of course, there are other smaller traditions of family magic, you know, in, in one neighborhood that's different from another or down the street different because there were, you know, differal, different cultural founders or people from different parts of the world um, landing in Sicily, you know, and, that were different from the mainland, for example, but that, taking it back to the rural traditions, what's exciting is you'll see the same types of cures for the same types of physical and psychic illnesses, mm-hmm. but some of the components are a little bit different. And then, like I said, you know, going broader, there are a lot of different things. Um, but, you know, you'll find people using mummified animal parts to cure the same illness in Sicily as you will in like northwestern Italy, Um again, there are component differences, there are different divinities called upon. So of course, different inheritances, there are different days of the year where these inheritances happen. You know, Mm -hmm. often it's on Christmas Eve, but for some place, it's more like Easter, or, um, you know, in in the summer solstice. So there are slight differences, but the main framework is the same in the rural world, which is really exciting.
0: What's the strongest act of healing you have observed or personally been involved in?
1: that's a that's a a word that could mean different things strongest but um you know I've seen like for example in rural Italy I've seen like long-standing injuries cured in five minutes um or um you know you know really painful skin issues cured with a splash of water um or you know I helped um I helped so I met a woman in um in a little village called Sava in the south of Italy in Puglia. I can never say the G-L-I correct. I'm sorry for native Italian speakers. But um, her mother was, you know, a keeper of many traditions. She was very famous in that countryside area. And this woman that I met taught me a few things that she inherited. And she was this fabulous, like really direct, bold kind of, you know, person. And um, after she was done teaching me some things, she's she sort of gestured her, her shoulder. And she told me in dialect, I've had this shoulder injury. It's painful. Heal it. Just like that (laughs) sat down in her chair to, for me to heal her. And so, you know, I used my prayer and, you know, it's just like a four minute healing. I did and poof, you know, it's gone. You know, we still talk. It's been a couple years later and it it just went away, um, you know, with that, a rural tradition. Um, And then I had a a friend who had a really severe intestinal injury, uh, uh, illness. It was like, so inflamed that, you know, he had to actually go back later to get the colonoscopy because, you know, the doctors were all really scared and, um, I, you know, gave him some healing energy and when he went back, poof, you know, there was no sign of, um, of that illness, you know, um, I've seen things like someone who had miscarriages and just couldn't get healed by any other modality, poof, you know, one healing session, they got pregnant.
2: Mm. You
1: know, things like this, but, uh, you know, I'm not sure, you know, f- or for example, when I was in Italy and Filomena was doing the Oki, you know, healing the ilmoloki Malocchio on me with the oil and water, she broke, you know, um, uh, an evil eye that was on me from past lives, which yeah. changed patterns in my life today, like, you know, my whole life. Fabric in certain boundary dynamics I had changed as a result of that um, dramatically. Um, so you know, I'm not sure what like you know strongest, or but for me these were all really strong and super exciting things. Um, I would so agree. Hopefully, <laughs> <you> know,
0: <laughs> <they're>, <laughs> but it's seem pandemic. big
1: to someone else or not. You know.
0: <laughs> I mean, if you ground it into our, our modern day of being, you know, we don't we don't see these sorts of things in, in with uh, Western allopathic medicine. Right. I mean, these are these are miracles in a sense,
1: you and know? it's exciting, you know. And yeah. Um, yeah, and and it looks looks kind of like nothing. Like for example, when I did the the healing, you know, the my hands and the prayer, I didn't even touch the lady. You know, it was yeah. four minutes maybe, um and something I did similar here for a friend. You know, we saw each other after five years and told me he had an injury and. Well, let's try it. You know, let's try this inheritance I have, and poof, you know, four minutes later, it was gone. I didn't touch him. All I did was say my prayer in partnership with, you know, the spirit helpers that I worked with. They did it, the work, of course. I was just there to hold my hands near him and to to say this prayer and you know want to be of service. And poof, uh, you know, so that's that's a pretty exciting thing, I think. <sighs>
0: So cool.
2: Have you seen in your research that many traditions are written of in a culturally inappropriate way? And what is your response to Italian folks who see this as cultural appropriation? Okay,
1: so for the first question, um, I would say, Actually, yes, (laughs) when, um, so I found out about some of this, you know, in America. And then when I was in Italy, I found out the Italian perspective on it from people who were teaching me. And so I would say based on some of the opinions they gave me too, um, you know, people who write about another culture's history, for example, just from historical documents and not from any experience um, from people who live there, I would say that's one of the things that I saw you know culturally inappropriate. For example, mm-hmm. you know there is a person who wrote a book claiming that there is a secret widespread witch cult in Italy, you know based on Roman documents. Um, you know and from people that I know, professors or historians you know invited this person to come to Italy and, and learn from them and They didn't want to do that. And so they sort of put a lot of misinformation that a lot of people are suffering under still about things that don't exist. For some reasons, we already talked about at the beginning of this podcast, Mm -hmm. the Roman agenda And the fact that you know none of that was really true, and you know this part. The only reason I'm bringing this up is that this was a personal situation that found its way to me. This person bullied me. You know, they tried to scare me. They told me they were the only person you know who knew any of these things, and that one of their relatives originally was from Italy, and now they're keeping tabs on contemporary magic in Italy through people there. Well, you know, that's not my that's not my interest is contemporary magic. So. You know and and from the Italians there they were saying some of them got bullied too and they're like you know they're they were very generous people saying come to our land we can help you understand you know what it's about so I would say you know that's a thing um you know Italians are really really helpful and they will help connect you they know Americans are searching for things but if you claim something that historically existed that nobody in that entire country of Italy Agrees with, you know, and you get it published. It could be an issue. <laughs> okay, yes. just just saying that there. So you know, I live in Italy every year. Not this past year, sadly. I'm accountable to people there. Ninety nine point nine percent of the people I talk to every day are from Italy, um, and so people, you know, know what I'm doing, and I'm accountable to them. And so you can see through my work that I have an understanding that comes through personal experience, but also work that I did going into the land giving up my own you know yeah. goals and spending time there and there's really no great stampede of people from other cultures coming to buy my books or to my to my classes like i think you know the way that i've that i teach things or i share what i've been taught let's say it that way is that there's a there's some sort of automatic filters in there there's nothing glamorous in here that you can use you know, to get stuff. There's like no magic that can used for like financial gain.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, it's all devotional love, you know, um, and it's, it's written in an honorary way, which I think, you know, comes through the work. So there's, Absolutely. you know, I don't think there's any, if, if, if someone like if an American Italian is worried about looking out for the culture of the country of Italy um, you know, these are some of the dynamics that go into the work that I do. Again, there's like no popular stampede of people running in to, you know, get at these traditions. It's mostly people who have family connections or personal interests who are trying to reconnect to things that they do through their own intuition or longing for a connection to their own family, we can say, mm-hmm. um, you know, so there, there's nothing here that's like suit again, super you know, glamorous or flashy. So, if you really want to know the truth, by putting aside your own expectations of what you might find from deep within the land, that's all that you'll find. You know, mm-hmm. in my work.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, beautifully said.
2: It's, it is so revered. Like just you know how you're honoring the land and the people and the tradition is mm-hmm. is um, you can feel it's like a like a love note. <laughs>
1: Well, you know, thank you because it's, it's not my culture. I don't, I wasn't born in Italy. You know, I don't, you know, I didn't expect to be talking about these things, doing lectures, you know, I mean, I would just rather sit in my house and sip on some espresso. I would do my private things, but, you know, so there is a, it's all honorary work because Mm -hmm. people are reading this, you know, it's not my history, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, so, and I get to learn along the way, of course, but.
2: I I think it's a huge testament for, for your spirit and soul that these beautiful, uh, healers are saying, yes, come, come. Come." Oh yeah.
1: I didn't even know this existed.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And there are there
1: are quite a few that I've met um, actually a lot of men who, you know, they, they're like, we want to show you what we do, but we don't want you to take pictures um, or talk about us because, you know, some people are interested these days and a few people have had their picture taken and articles written that they didn't know about mm-hmm. and things like this. So, you know. I have to be very aware of like, you know, sending the book to the village so the person sees, you know, but I mean, I mean I'm still in touch with almost everyone in the book and the coming books too. Um, you know, that these are people's lives and, um, you know, there's a lot to be said about it, but
0: yeah.
2: there's
1: also, it's also a lot of history that has been written out or, you know, even among some Italian anthropologists, they just are like, oh, that's just superstition and, you know, They've written from an outsider perspective some criticisms, which I also think isn't fair because a lot of historical documents about spiritual practices are from the outside view anyway. Yeah. Um, you know, which isn't necessarily honorary, but it leaves a nice trail of things like, oh, that happened there, that's existed there. But yeah, you know, I was meeting people and still am meeting people who are telling me their stories.
0: They're not my stories. Right. Oh, I'm thankful for it. Yeah, me too. So what was the most interesting slash specific thing about Italian magic that you have learned?
1: So on an interesting side of things, I was really interested to learn about like all the animal parts that were used. Yeah, yeah. because I didn't expect like, you know, dog skin and badger hair and teeth and skulls and frogs and uh, you know owl feathers and different things. I you know, I thought that was interesting because not only are they used, or, you know, mummified scorpions and snakeheads. I didn't know that not only are they used in medical magical remedies, but they also have beliefs on how what they do in the world of spirit, protective You know, so like everything matches together, like the belief about um, poisonous animals being also the antidote for the poison that caused the illness and also how this um, vibrates out into the world of spirit to protect people against poisonous spirits and how we find, you know, prayers to goddesses in the rural world you know, singing praises of those who can take away the poison. So that was something just like on a, an earthly level was very interesting that I, I didn't know about. Mm-hmm. But then I have to say that one of the most interesting things is, like I told you, the night school, we talked about the good lady, La Señora del Joco, mm-hmm. that there was a, a spirit inheritance, you know, to keep the, the knowledge flowing. Um, and that, you know, was teaching people who didn't have access to family Mm-hmm. Oh, felt a hit of emotion behind that one. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, you know, because that, that's one of the, the biggest heartbreaks that people come to me with is like, oh, you know, we already mentioned this. You know, I don't know how to get in touch with this because my family is no longer, mm-hmm. um, you know. And so I think I also, I don't think I mentioned it in this interview, but in my first book, I mentioned how this Sicilian healer named Eve the French name, you know, was handed down the power that his grandfather had from the beyond, you know? Um, You know, so, so things can still happen. Memories can be retrieved. Knowledge is still alive. And so that's what I think is the most exciting and hopeful thing about like the good lady and all of her versions um, is that, you know, that consciousness is still alive. And so it can be connected to, it can be reclaimed. It can be re
2: uh, reanimated. Yeah. I, that to me is, I, I want to do more research on that myself. I find that fascinating. So the second question we have, do women of Dolomites mountains of Northern Italy practice magic slash mountain folklore?
1: So I don't have any personal connection with the Dolomite mountains. I mean, I know where they are. I've never been there. I don't know Anyone from there. However, we're talking about mountain culture. And so La Senora del Gioco has a presence in mountain cultures and mountain cultures just by nature um, have these rural practices, you know, because they're, whatever, 3,000 feet in the air. And so I would say probably, yes, like the regions that I've lived in or been to um, are like Liguria, Friuli, Venezia, Giulia, Lombardia, Toscana, emilia Romagna, Umbria, Lazio, Abruzzo, Campania, Puglia of Veneto but so I haven't you know I haven't been to this area but this is the rural magic I would say is something that you're probably going to find there it's you know a very common thing to find in mountain areas and a lot of mountain people call their area al paese the country and they don't call it necessarily the mountain and I would say that you, probably yes
0: Is Christian religion a big influence in Italian magic? And if so, how slash what is the balance?
1: This is an important question because, you know, in here in America, we don't really, unless you go there and learn, really don't understand this idea of the church and its power. So the church's power in Italy is completely different from here. Um, For example, even now, you know, the. the the church has the power to arrest you for writing or publishing something negative about the Pope, you know, you will get censored. You can't just, you know, publish anything you want about the Pope or God. Like if someone hears you cursing God on the train, which a lot of people do um, you could be arrested for that and fined like 300 euros, you know, Uh, like I had a friend in a band who was, you know, singing something against God and the Pope, but they were singing it in English in Rome, but there were some police at the club and they detained them for a couple hours after their show to try to ask them. They didn't speak English luckily, but they wanted to know what they were saying. Because you can still you know, the, the power of the church is really different from what we know here. So Also, throughout time and culture, you have to understand that the church had more money than the Roman army for a while. Okay, so they were safe, like walking into villages and kidnapping people like during the witch hunts um, and putting them in jail without documentation in the face of all the neighbors. So there's also, you know, community life is really important. What is your neighbor thinking about you even now? You know, when you walk down the street, you'll see the gaggle of old ladies. And then at the at the bar, you see the gaggle of men and they're all watching you walk down the street. They know everybody's business. And, you know, but back to the church, there's still a lot of power and oppression against this idea of like, are you, because people don't really use the word, people are reclaiming the word witch, but, you know, the word witch doesn't exist as like a title for a duty. It's more of a description, you know, Mm -hmm. um, there. And so really people only, we want to talk about historically accurate, call people witches who do black magic. Everyone does magic. You know, magic is everywhere, but the people who do black magic tend to be called, you know, witches. Mm. So what you find in the rural areas, and even some places a little bit outside of that, is that it seems like people are being obedient and going to the church as the church told them to, but they still have all their beliefs. They have their belief in the goddess Easy Day, Isis, behind the Mother Mary, or, you know, in the south of Italy, or other feminine divinities, you know, but because of oppression, and, you know, the way everyone looks at each other, you'll find ladies who put curses on each other, but they go to church every Sunday. <laughs> you know, It's not exactly the way we say it here. That's why I have a chapter called The Myth of Syncretism. So, From the outside, people are like, or I've even seen some authors accuse people in the rural world who aren't well-read or can't read at all, you know, of stealing magic and then just applying it to their Catholicism. But it's really not true because the church, you know, has listed a very long list of banned practices for these very same rural people who are accused of stealing magic, like you know, curing with herbs and prayers is illegal. So even if you go to church, you know, and do the things that we ask you to do, uh, you know, we still consider you, you know, evil, Uh, you know, or or, or all of the types of magic that I've been talking about here today, using animal parts, you know, nailing owls to the, to the barn door for protection, anything using iron, you know, having little medicine pouches called breve or punja that they wear against their heart, you know, sending a soul to heaven by an opening, you know, during funerary traditions, opening windows and doors. These are all things that the church accused these same people of, you know, of being evil and that you shouldn't do this. I'm not sure if that really makes sense, but so underneath the forced religious plants in the communities, churches, Madonnas, people have their own personal beliefs under that. Let's just say it that way. (laughs) <laughs> because of community pressure, you know, they want to look like a good person going to church. Some people don't care anymore, but a lot of people do, but they still have all their magic in their practices and, you know, even black magic, um, you know, going to church. And so what you, one of the interesting thing that you will find is that among most of the prayers used by people that we're talking about, they're to the feminine representation of, you know, God and the the mother of God. And so they, and you'll see like Madonna statues everywhere, that mother aspect, that great mother spiritual aspect is what's really um, impressed upon and venerated. Maybe you see a tiny little statue of Jesus here or there, depending on like how powerful the church is in that neighborhood. Um, But people mostly venerate the feminine, through that, if yeah. that makes sense.
0: Absolutely, yeah. it does, yeah. And you're gonna see this kind of thing in a lot of other cultures that have embraced Catholicism as well. And that's honestly, you know, a byproduct of colonization. You know, Absolutely. you've got your indigenous practices that um, you and your family have, have had going on, you know, for hundreds of years, it's land-based. Yes. You still live on that land, but here we have, all of these people in power that also, you know, are in control of the government and all those other aspects of life and it's That's survival. That's yeah. it.
1: Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, if you think about the the, the power of community too, well, you yeah. know, the social media in contemporary times, but in like Italian places, you know, uh, there were time, you know, during the witch hunts, for example, I was told by a lot of people, oh yeah, in our village, you know, if someone thought you were, you know, a witch doing black magic, they would just take you and throw you off the cliff, you know, no trial, no, no one else to help you out. I mean, people would take things into their own hands. And so, you know, her- heresy, rumors, you know, all that sorts of things come up. So people have for like you said for survival need to look like they're cooperating in whatever way but they still have their long-standing inherited beliefs
2: Mm -hmm. my head is just reeling with all of this information oh my gosh (laughs) it's juicy
0: folks (laughs) go out and buy karen's book (laughs) do it now
2: (laughs) you've got a school too
1: yeah too I do. And mostly in my school, you know, I emphasize channeling um, and helping people, like we said at the beginning, learn to trust themselves and their abilities. You know, a few little organizational tools. Some of them I combine with some rural practices, the ones that I'm allowed to share because there are many more that I can't, um, you know, to help people understand the framework. So if they want to connect to ancestors or, you know, in the rural tradition, a divine feminine being and use some of the the plants and the materials and the actions you would need to use, you can do that. And then it's up to the world of the spirit helpers to decide Mm -hmm. if you're going to, you know, be able to make that cure happen or make that remedy come to life. Um, But so I like to help put people in the position of being empowered to connect to source or to, you know, the divine feminine or whatever their gifts or abilities may be. So that they can, you know, they don't have to have a teacher. They can do it on their own.
0: Yeah. Karen, how can people find you and your awesome work?
1: Oh, thank you. Well,
0: I have a website,
1: karencrisisheals.com. I spell my name K-A-R-Y-N, which is a little confusing. Although there is, you know, the interesting Greek word carry on for walnuts. We have the magic walnut tree in Italy. So it's a psychopomp kind of name. So karencrisisheals.com. <laughs> Or I'm on Instagram at K-A-R-Y-N period crisis.
0: Awesome. Karen, thank you so much for honoring you. us for your presence and sharing your fountains of knowledge. <laughs> like, like Leslie said, I am also reeling. I'm just like, I could just listen to you all day. <laughs> so thank, oh, you, thank so you so much.
1: much. <laughs> oh, thank you. It's been a pleasure. I really, really appreciate it. It's my honor.
0: Oh okay the ask a hag podcast is produced by donna kyler listen to us on spotify apple podcasts stitcher or wherever else you listen You can be a part of the podcast too. Leave us a voicemail message on the Anchor FM app and we'll play it on the show. And don't forget to review us on Apple Podcasts. We love five stars and it helps others find this awesome show. You can find this podcast on Instagram at ask.uh.hag or at askahagpodcast.com. Thank you so much, everybody.